Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Let's Unpack That, your weekly podcast where this politically engaged queer millennial unpacks world events through the lens of anxiety, depression, and everything in between. And today, we are unpacking 150 reasons why Trump must go. And um, this is probably one of those things that brings me the most anxiety and depression. Um, And this is one of those things that I think has channeled a lot of my podcasts recently and my posts on Instagram recently. So um, I'm thrilled to be doing this episode, especially thrilled to be doing this with another, I guess our term is micro-influencer. I don't want to call us that. (laughs) Me neither. (laughs) I never um, want to be an influencer. <laughs> I know. I never wanted this. I never wanted this. <laughs> never had um, this life. No. Um, but we are unpacking with the founder, creator, co-founder, co-creator, host, designer, messenger, researcher, um, woman behind 150 Reasons. Um, so, Gray, uh, welcome to the Let's Unpack That podcast. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you for having me. And I'm really excited to be here. I've never been on a podcast before. So this is like kind of nerve wracking, but also really, really cool that you have a podcast. And I'm just so excited. Yeah, well, I'm really excited, too, because I think um, the work that you're doing is particularly helpful for um, some of the people who listen to this podcast where um, they kind of like know that they don't like Trump and they know that their family probably shouldn't like Trump, but they don't necessarily have like the research and the tools and everything. And I think that you guys do such a good job of doing that. Thank um, you. So I'm excited Thank to sort of promote you, but also just dive in and sort of figure out like a little bit more about why um, you started this and everything. So um, Gray is here um, and we are gonna cover a couple different things. So we're gonna do an overview of the 150 Reasons account. Um, We're gonna do a little bit of reflection on sort of how we got into this activism. Then we're also going to unpack our top three reasons as to why Trump must get the hell out of the Oval Office. And then we're gonna talk about what's next. So this is gonna be really a good episode. It's also a really different episode to have, I would say, like another another person who's been really um, active in terms of digital organizing recently. So I think that you'll help a lot of people. I know you're going to help me. You already have. Um, so um, why don't you give us just like a little bit of an intro? Um, what is the account? What's the handle, the official yeah. handle of the account? Okay, the handle's at 150.reasons. So go follow now. Um, no, after the episode's over. Um, but 150reasons is a resource for people communicating with swing voters and um, not even just swing voters, maybe even family and um, other people um, on topics that are impacting Americans. Um, And we're doing 150 um, issues and reasons because when we started it, there were 150 days to go before the November election. Um, And while we're obviously progressive, our posts really try to address conservative um, and try to anticipate and combat conservative talking points and um, like traditional arguments that you might hear because a huge issue obviously with Trump is that he's uh, spewing out a lot of lies and disinformation and um, it can be really hard to sift through what's actually true and like you said why do we need to vote Trump out I don't think it's like obviously there's so much that's wrong with him but it's really good to understand the specific policies that he's implemented and why they are really so harmful and 
unprecedentedly, unprecedentedly so. Um, so like I said, while our target, our target readership is progressives, we were really hoping that our readers take this information out um, into the world beyond Instagram. The last thing like that I wanted to do with this was to just create another liberal echo chamber. So like I said, we're really trying to get this out into the open and we also have a website to do that, which we need to update. But um, yeah, so how it started was um, basically in 2016, when Trump was elected, I was really upset with myself for being sort of complacent in that election. I really didn't think that it was possible for him to be elected. Um, and so I promised myself, like, the next chance I have to work on a campaign volunteer, I'm going to do that. Um, and so I was really excited to do that this year because I had a few months off in between the end of school and my next job. And so I was like, I'm going to, you know, canvas and do whatever I can to help out the Democratic nominee. And, um, and then COVID happened and it was just like, what are we going to do now? And after doing the Vote Save America and Biden uh, trainings, I was like, OK, I guess it's going to be all online. So whatever I do is going to have to be online. Um, and when I was doing the Vote Save America and Biden trainings, I was just like, I don't feel comfortable enough talking to swing voters in states, especially I'm not from Pennsylvania or Wisconsin or any of these swing states. I'm from uh, a liberal blue state. So I just was like, I don't feel comfortable talking about these issues with them, but I couldn't find a resource to help me talk about these issues. Um, the so other create your own. Yeah, yeah. Just create your own. I mean, the other thing that was happening was I was, um, since George Floyd's death, especially, I was uh, talking to my parents about a lot of um, racial justice issues and other political issues. And my dad can be kind of hard on me sometimes. And he'll be like, when we're talking about things, he'll be like, well, what is the specific statistic telling you that? Or like, what source do you have for that? And it left me really frustrated feeling like I didn't know enough and I didn't remember enough. For me, it's like retention of information also. I'll be like, oh, I heard that, but I don't remember what the exact, um, like what that stinging point that you want to get across to someone is that have trouble remembering that. Well, there's also, <clears throat> to to the point of the, the, the account, there's 150 reasons at least. Yeah. So, you know, like that's another, that's a lot to keep in your brain. And what somebody said to me recently is like, well, like liberals have never and progressives have never lived in the America they want. So being able to articulate that America is particularly difficult because we've never seen it before. Mm. Like, but that feeling of being like, I'm not researched enough. I don't know enough. is like a real genuine feeling. Like yeah. that's a, that's legit. Yeah. yeah. I love, I love that thought of like, what do we want it to look like also? Like, and so we try to do that at the end of our posts, but um, I'm also really a visual learner. And so um doing them in like Instagram slideshow form um, also like helps me retain. And so I brought this idea to my friends. There were like 153 days before the election when I thought of it. And then I messaged my friends after I had written 150 on militarization. and was like, hey guys, like I have this idea. What do you think? I was nervous as hell about their response because I thought I was crazy and I thought they would think I was crazy too. Uh, I mean, like writing every day for the next 150 days. <laughs> kind, so, kind of a lot. Yeah. yeah. So, but they're, I thought they might respond and say, honestly, I love them. But like, I thought they would say, 
this is a great idea. Um, and like, if you need help, just let us know. But their response was so much better than that. It was like, wait, this is so cool. I've been wanting to do a political blog as well. Um, can we help you with this? Like, can we actually like join in and like write a bunch of posts with you? And I was like, uh, yeah, like, please. <laughs> it was honestly like, I the sigh of relief because I was a few posts in and was just having a lot of trouble, um, like keeping afloat and sane, even, yeah, even just a weekend. So I was really happy about that. And 150 was born the day they said yes to me. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So I guess who, who runs it? Like how many people? Like, um, cause I, I think one of the things that I found so inspiring is like talking to you, um, talking to you and, and, and other accounts, like it's, it's just sort of like, made me think about um like letting other people in um uh, one thing that i struggle with and i've talked about this on this podcast a lot is like my ability with perfectionism and sometimes being a perfectionist you don't always let people into whatever your creativity is that you're putting out and sometimes i feel like well like that's what work is for i collaborate at work but like at home in this sort of version of my um like in this sort of version of my creativity, like this is all me. And I think one of the things that I found so uplifting about you when we talked about like getting ready for this podcast is like you collaborate with people on this. And just even the idea of that has like inspired me to keep moving, like knowing that like there's you guys out there. So why don't you just like tell a, a few people like about who runs the account? Yeah. Like, or, well, you run the account, but uh, you know, who else? Yeah, but it really becomes such a, a creature of like, like I like to call it like a like the, a faceless movement, like not like we're anything compared to Black Lives Matter, but the the point we've really become just like a group of about twenty people now, twenty writers, um, and some people write more than others. Um, like some people write once or twice a week, and some people write once a month. Um, but basically, now it's four of us women lawyers. We are best friends from law school. And um, in the beginning, we were like, all right, we need to find some more writers here because it's pretty overwhelming. And we, we want to be able to write really great posts that are thoroughly researched. And one of these posts can take up to like a week if you're really doing um, solid research on it. So, and we also wanted people that have expertise in their areas. Um, so we have a public defender doing criminal justice pieces. We have someone that was in the Obama administration doing economic policy, writing the economic policy posts. We, I, I did environmental law. I went to school for environmental law. So I'm doing some of the environmental posts um, and so on. Um, but like to your point about making it not about you, it has been kind of like a really great growth experience for me to try and like to delegate everything to other people because like in the beginning the one of you know one of the things i wanted to ensure i was doing was writing a lot because i really enjoyed writing but i also had to swallow the pill that i'm not well versed in many of these topics and that it would be better for the sake of the page and for our readership to give let other people that have more experience write these posts and yeah it's kind of like a pride thing you got to be like not I don't know enough about that to write about that and, yeah but it just makes it so much better it makes the the blog better and it also like I said has just 
been a true growth experience for me to like take a back seat in a area where I usually like to lead. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I totally get that. And I think that my friends who are listening to this are laughing as well um, because of what you just said is something that I try to channel a lot, but I'm not great at it just yet. Um, well, so I, I, you know, I, I think that um, why, why I wanted to sort of like sit down with you even and, and sort of talk about this because we can, you know, kiki online and we can share each other's posts and stories and comments and stuff. But I think that um, we are in a time where it is incredibly dire to um, get who I believe is the absolute worst person who's ever been in the Oval Office out of the Oval Office. Um, and so um, most of my posts are, pol- are, are politically inclined towards him, or when they are inclined towards him, they have a certain level of virality to them where, where people really want to share them because they, they find that they're sort of helpful resources. But like you said, that piece of going beyond the echo chamber to organize digitally, but also have conversations as close to in-person, like kind of as we can get right now, um, is massively important. So when I'm thinking about like, um, why I think it's really helpful. I think it just, it's particularly inspiring to think about like four female best friends coming together and being like, no, we can do something and we have to do something and then have 20,000 followers, you know, like a couple months later, you know? And I, I think that that's really cool. So I guess like, where was your sort of inspiration to start organizing digitally? Um, like how you sort of got involved, what what some of those sources, I guess, were for you. Um, I know you shared a little bit about that, but I'd love to unpack that a little bit more. Yeah, so this is like the first time I'm actually seriously involved with digital organizing. Um, but there were times in the past where I had um, posted a few things. The same women that are now on the um, account with me, the four of us actually went abroad to study for a semester of law school. And while we were there, we all worked at um, international organizations. And when I was there, I actually had like kind of a, an internship that wasn't all that great, but I was posting a lot. I was blogging a lot about plastic issues and environmental issues and the power of international law and the power of coalition building and just like new things I hadn't seen before that I was really pumped about. And I just felt like something inside me that I hadn't felt in a long time when I posted those things. And I was thinking about why. And I think that's because like on Instagram, you can, it's pretty curated what you put out and it's, you know, you're not really, I at least felt like I wasn't really showing who I was on Instagram. Um, And I also felt like at the time, political things weren't like, like people didn't really post about political things. So whenever mm-hmm. I did that, I felt like kind of strange for doing it. I felt You're sort like, of like cutting into people's entertainment time almost. Yeah, exactly. And, but also when I did it, I felt like I was seen by myself. Like I felt like I was honoring my truth and like, I felt like I was seen by other people as well, because like by being vulnerable, I get like messages from people like, I'm really glad you said that or like, or even in, just in the comments, people responding and like, never would get those responses on photo of me, like smiling in front of a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I got like, I just, it opened up 
conversations and opened up vulnerability. And I love just like being true on Instagram. And when I, I was reading something at the same time about like career stuff, and it was like, don't think about the career you want to have. Think about the times that you felt most alive in your life. And for me, that was actually 10 years ago in high school working in student government. And we've talked on the phone before a little bit about like our time in high school, but that was when I felt most alive, honestly. And at first I was embarrassed about that, that it's been so long ago, but it's just the truth. Like I haven't had an activism experience like that since then. Um, Basically student government in high school was just uh, sticking it to the man, like coming to the administration with solutions, with proposals, uh, leading eighth graders, eighth graders through projects, uh, and leading small groups of people. I love that feeling of organizing people together and also bringing the leadership out in other people. I love that, and I love mentoring. So um, I've always been like searching. Not always. It just when it hit me that that's what I wanted to search for again. And then I felt it again when I was blogging 10 years later in law school, I was like, oh, those, those have like similar, those feelings are similar. Um, And I think the root of it is activism. And so that's why digital organizing really appeals to me because it's about um, digging deep and being vulnerable and like speaking out and using your voice. That's actually like, I don't know, I, it's funny because we did talk a little bit about sort of that high school experience, but I don't think that you said it in that same way around like um, feeling like vulnerable um, and feeling authentic and putting out like content that you feel like is, is um, representative of you and your beliefs. Um, and that, I don't know, that just struck me um, uh, sort of as you were talking, when I think about moments that I've um, felt most alive. Um, it has been when I've been doing work that I think I felt most connected to movements related to social justice or movements related to politics. Um, and in, in, in particular, I think, um, you know, I've, I've done an episode when I unpacked my, my service experience, um, where I lived in the Dominican for, um, uh, basically in total, it was about, you know, like, seven or eight months of my life. Um, but, um, you know, I talk about the problems with that type of service as well in that, but, um, the, um, that, that sort of feeling like I'm putting something out there into the world that is actually going to make somebody else's life better, um, is motivating. And I feel that there's no better way to do that than through, political change. Um, and I know that maybe that is altruistic to a lot of people who are turned off by the system. Um, but I think about, you know, me and I think about my queer community and I think about, um, the, the black trans women who pretty much laid down everything so that, um, I could get married today. Um, and so like, that my I've said this recently but like my very existence is political (laughs) like my marriage is political the fact that I can identify as a queer man is is political um and so yeah those moments where you feel most alive when you're sort of putting something out there into the world that is like part of 
a movement towards something, you know, mm -hmm. again, my, my service experience is, is one example, but I channeled that into starting a sustainable nonprofit. And so I channeled it into yeah. sort of like that. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's, I think, um, it's interesting just that you said that. And I don't know that I'm able to put necessarily a nice bow on that thought because I only just thought about it now. But um, yeah, even when, you know, we talked about it before when I started my Sarah Palin fan club uh, <laughs> in, in high school, um, I felt alive because I was rallying people around a cause I believed in. Um, mm -hmm. Dear God, no one record that and uh, blackmail me in, in a few years. But um, Or please don't go looking for the Facebook group called Palin's Apostles. It was a young Catholic schoolboy uh, who was confused about everything. But um, yeah, that that is totally a reason, I think, why I'm part of this movement right now. So uh, uh, thank you for sharing that story. Yeah. It's something bigger um, than yourself. Yeah. 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 Um, so I guess um, another thing I kind of wanted to, to talk about um, is um, you mentioned uh, progressive politics. Um, and so you wanted to sort of share resources for progressive politics and, and you know, tell stories that are well researched through that. Um, but uh, many people, many progressives in my life would probably agree we don't have the most progressive candidate right now on the Democratic side. Um, I'm curious um, what your kind of thoughts are on the primary process and how there's a sort of movement towards settling for Biden. Um, and before, you know, like I, I can share just a little bit more. Like I, I liked Pete Buttigieg, you know, I, I liked Elizabeth Warren. I loved Bernie. There were a lot of candidates on that stage that I really gravitated towards. And Joe Biden was by far, next to Tulsi Gabbard, the <laughs> candidate that I, that I gravitated towards the least. Um, so I'm just curious. I'd love to kind of unpack the primary with you a little bit, because that sounds like it was probably some of the time where you thought you were going to start canvassing and stuff like that, too. So mm. um, I'd love to sort of talk to you about that a little bit, if that's cool. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, in the primary, I was I've been my brother was our Bernie bro back in 2016 I was like for Hillary at the time because I really wanted to see a female president um but Bernie um was on my radar this time around um just because of the urgency of so many progressive issues like climate change um he was really the one that I trusted to get it done and he also had so much experience and so like the claim that, you know, Biden has so much experience that was like true of Bernie as well. And I, I just like trusted Bernie so much to like get to do what was right for the people basically. And with Biden kind of a establishment Democrat, that's not the warm fuzzy feeling you get from him really, you know, it's not like, I still worry about, <laughs> I hate to say this, but like you worry about how strong he'll be up against like certain um, politicians on the Hill, you know, it's just, whereas you don't worry about that with Bernie and with Warren who are really fighters for the people. I feel that, um, you know, when I think about people like AOC or Ilhan Omar, or Pramila Jayapal, um, like some of the, the people who are attacked most by Trump, you know, the people that conservatives say need to sit down, shut up and learn their place. Those are the people I gravitate towards um, right. because, um, 
they are being authentically themselves and don't give a shit about what the establishment tells them. And that is a fear um, I have too. Um, there's sort of this idea sometimes that has been portrayed um, by the Biden administration that, um, you know, once we get together, we can, or once, you know, I get power, um, we can sort of all come together and hold hands and talk and, um, you know, we'll collaborate with Republicans. We're, we're, we'll work across the aisle. Um, and I don't know, like Republicans in a Trump era and even a post-Trump era don't particularly seem like people who are willing to collaborate. I mean, they've endorsed every single thing that this president has stood for. So it, I, th- I find it interesting and somewhat inspiring that, that I would say Joe Biden sort of believes that or, or um, his supporters believe that. But that's why I gravitate towards those progressive candidates, too, because when they talk about radical change um, or even parts of, you know, um, Cory Booker's campaign talking about radical love, like um, there's all these kind of pieces of things that they talk about that say, like, I know I'm fed up with the system because the system is broken. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that I've ever really heard that or feel like I hear that come directly from Joe Biden's mouth. So it's a weird time to be anti-Trump in a um, in a movement where Joe Biden is the alternative, because he's certainly not the person I'm most excited about, but he, he is the person that I will, of course, be voting for. Right. Um, oh. It's the weirdest situation because you don't want to settle. You don't want to settle for your president. Like, I don't even settle in my, I try not to settle in my relationships. <laughs> yeah. like, why would I settle for my president, you know? Uh, I guess it's different because that's my personal life only impacts me and my, whereas like voting, my vote impacts millions of people. So it's just the way it is this year. And it kind of sucks because you want to be inspired like you were, like I was in 2008 with Obama. Like you want to be inspired by the, the hero that's going to, that's going to eliminate the villain that is Trump. You know, you want it to be like, this amazing story of triumph. Like slaughter. Yeah, yeah. slaughter and a triumph. You yeah. want it to be a landslide victory. And the fact that so many people are uh, unsure about Biden is like also what scares me because I want to come out of this election with um, up and down the ballot, flipping Senate seats, Trump out all by landslides. That's what we need to send signals to our elected officials about our demands with respect to the movements happening right now, Black Lives Matter, climate change, disinformation, trans rights, all of these things are happening right now. And our votes have are uniquely positioned to capitalize on those movements right now. And so I'm worried that if we don't have um, like significant victories over Trump and um, the Senate seats that that we're sending a signal that like not all of us care enough about these movements to vote you out by a landslide. So that's why I say every vote counts and why we gotta settle for Biden. Like we we have to get everyone on board because it's not just about Biden. Um, like I don't like the idea really that one person is gonna save us because democracy isn't about one person. It's not about a savior, it's about us. And the truth of the matter is practically it's not about one person either. So Biden is going to have hundreds of people backing up his administration. And if Biden were to like pass away for some reason, um, he still would have 
the administration he appointed and hundreds of career experts, um, a robust staff of people implementing the progressive policies that we want to see. Um, so it's really not a one man show anyway. So when people say, I don't like Biden, it's like true, we want to like, we want to love our president, but there's so much more happening behind the scenes. If Biden's elected, we will have um, career experts in agencies, which is something we don't have right now. Trump has um, understaffed, underfunded our agencies to the point that our government is not functioning. And so a vote for Biden will be a vote to salvage the functioning of our government and all of the people behind Biden, not just Biden himself. I think that's so well said. Um, and actually, I, I think the phone slipped. I can't see her. I can only see your mouth now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to do that. So um, I, th- I was going to say, I think that that's well said um, because any good leader in any organization can die, leave, never come back, get fired, move along. But if his staff is good and the people he hires are good, then that organization administration can keep functioning. And I think that that is one of the more comforting things I think about and feel about Joe Biden is that um, whether it's the fact that um, he recognizes that he cannot win without progressive support and win without the Bernie supporters and um, the Elizabeth Warren supporters and the, the diehard AOC people. He can't win without us. So he must, in a sense, be part of us. And he, his policies must must reflect that. And I think, um, you know, I shared a post on this a couple of weeks ago, every year, um, you know, or every election cycle, um, they do like a unity task force to bring the party together and, and to make sure that people are on the same page and all that stuff. And, um, you know, I think in this year, it was particularly progressive. Like you had AOC leading one side and John Kerry, the, the former presidential candidate and secretary of state leading the other side. So like moderates mm-hmm. and progressives were able to talk and no, they weren't able to make Biden talk about the Green New Deal, but at least they were able to move him on certain issues related to, like you said, some of those more urgent and pressing issues like police brutality and climate change. Um, Mm -hmm. And so like that is part of this, like there will be people like you and I or people whose beliefs like yours and mine are represented in a Biden administration because he does appear to me to, um, you know, care about what other people think. Like, I think um, mm-hmm. Pramila Jayapal and, and a, it was also on that uh, council. Mm-hmm. I can't remember um, if some of the other, um, like, I don't know that Bernie was necessarily on it, but certainly, like, had his sign-off mm-hmm. on it, right? Yeah. Uh, like, but, um, you know, I think that that, like, sort of shows, like, we may be settling for the person, right? But, like, we are also agreeing to move forward with an mm-hmm. administration that is, in Bernie's own words, the most progressive since FDR. Right. Um, which... Brings me a lot of like hope. Um, yeah. So, I guess like kind of along the same lines, when you're thinking about um, your candidates and the people that you support, what are the, some of those issues that do move you the most? You know, you mentioned like being in environmental law, mm-hmm. so I would imagine climate change is a mm-hmm. huge one for you. But what are some of the issues that kind of move you? I guess to get involved, stay involved, be engaged. Yeah, um, it's hard to say, right? Because there are a lot. <laughs> like, but in in high school, the issue that really moved me and got me into politics was climate change. And um, I had watched the documentaries Food Inc. and 
uh, Inconvenient Truth and was just really into learning about um, all the stuff Michael Pollan was writing about. So agriculture and how it impacts climate change and animal rights stuff. My aunt, who's actually from Pennsylvania, is an animal rights activist. So in high school, I, I really enjoyed actually writing um, in the high school newspaper about these things. But as I've grown older, it's become more, I've been more concerned with issues that directly impact people, not to undermine climate change, because that certainly impacts people, but things just like that I feel need more immediate attention, like, um, like our mass incarceration crisis and uh, the fact that our maternity rate in the United States is the largest rate in the developed world, is the highest rate in the developed world. Um, the fact that we're still fighting for basic health protections like contraception, when it just makes so much sense to have contraception, like I can't fathom why it's we're still fighting about it. Um, I mean, it brings economic stability it brings familial stability and it's really popular among men and women. So it just really frustrates me that an issue like that is something we're still fighting about, which just brings me to, oh, I'm not even going to get into it. But, um, and yeah, I think lately it's been like mass incarceration and the Black Lives Matter stuff has really um, impacted motivated um, me and us to do 150 Reasons was also one of the drivers behind it. Um, but yeah, I'd say it's all those things and like so many more things, like I said, after watching or reading something, I'll want to go out and address that. So it's hard to choose. <laughs> I know. Thing. It's hard to choose. It is. It is. It's hard to choose and it's hard to message. It's hard to pick. And, you know, I'll just indulge like a little bit of my frustrations around that, you know, because um, it goes back to that point of like, oh, my God, there's so much wrong with the world and there's so much to mm -hmm. fix. How could Joe Biden or any presidential candidate or any administration like be the one to start fixing it? But, you know, like I think to your to your point it's important that we sweep this election you know <laughs> like that that like um we maintain control of the house which we have a significant control right mm -hmm. now um we need to basically what flip six senate seats five six i can't remember right four. now it was a, i guess it's four if you don't count any toss-ups right yeah, right right but, right yeah um <laughs> but um so when you think about like that it's like oh my god like four people maintaining control and then getting the presidency it's like we could have two full years just like trump had at the start of his administration two full years to do the things that we want to do on voting rights to do the things mm -hmm. that we want to do um for um like a national like uh policing of police mm -hmm. um to you know make real headway and rejoin the paris climate agreement like there's so right like there's just a list of stuff that we could do um and it's it's it, it's just interesting i think to think about issues that move us when there are so many issues that move us like i'm sure somebody's listening right now and is like you didn't even mention but you know it's like yeah i know i know i, I know like <laughs> Um, I think coronavirus, um, trans rights, right. women's rights, um, 
Oh, gun violence. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, yeah, we haven't had a school shooting because schools haven't been open. So no one's thinking about gun violence right now. Like there's and, and I love you guys actually did a great post on that. I highly recommend it, you know, that that all of these people vote for Trump, you know, who's going to bring back their Second Amendment rights that they never lost. And then he did nothing about it, you know, to begin with. Mm-hmm. It's just um, it's really difficult, I think, to sort of pinpoint some of those issues. So what I wanted to do is in the next section of this podcast is for us to talk about our our kind of top three reasons of the 150 reasons or the, I guess the the 50 or so 60 reasons that you've re- released so mm-hmm. far. I can't remember exactly what number you're at. Tomorrow we're on 90 or like 90. it'll be reason number 90. So we've done 60. 60. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so of the 60, picking kind of your top three and narrowing them, them down and maybe trying to articulate them for people with some of the research that you mentioned, right? So like, um, I think that I would love for you to share one, I'll share one, and then we'll kind of keep going back and forth until we do our three. Um, and um, for you guys listening, I think um, we we kind of made sure we didn't pick the same ones because there are ones I think that Gray and I feel um, particularly passionate about. Mm-hmm. So um, Gray, why don't you go first? Um, and you can share um, your first reason of the 60 you've released so far. All right. So the first one that I wrote down was number 138, uh, mass incarceration. And so I tried to pick reasons that like encapsulated a lot of things like systemic problems, because then I could choose a bunch of reasons that are important to me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but mass incarceration just really encapsulates like so many systemic problems. Mass, like when someone's in prison, that's at the end of the line. That's the end of the path after a lot of roadblocks and obstacles have been put in their way. And a lot of, um, harmful policies have impacted their lives. So like the fact that property taxes, um, and generational wealth determines where you're going to live and where you're going to go to school. And then from there, how that impacts whether you'll be in a school that um, has school resources officers, school resource officers um, at a disproportionate amount. And also the fact that Black students are disproportionately um, suspended and expelled for minor infractions at school, like speaking out. Um, and then on top of that, the fact that when you're suspended or expelled, you're three times as likely to come into contact with the juvenile justice system. And so it's that's the school to prison pipeline, basically. Um, other roadblocks that come up are, or other, I guess, policies that um, disproportionately impact Black people in the United States is the mandatory minimum sentencing um, policy that we have at the federal level and at state levels. Um, That basically, mandatory minimums are basically um, minimum sentences that judges have to assign to, um, can I start over on that part? Okay. Um, It's hard to like phrase this. Okay. So mandatory minimum sentencing sentences are those that judges have to sentence to an offender for a minimum amount of time. So at the federal level, Black people are twice as likely to 
be charged and convicted of a crime that carries a mandatory minimum sentence than white people. Um, so all of this, all of these policies result in the fact that we have 25% of the world's prison population, but only 5% of the world's population. Um, and I think those policies are just so important to understand when we talk about the prison industrial complex and about all of the issues surrounding Black Lives Matter and defund the police. Um, they're all just so important to understanding institutional racism. And when it comes to what Trump and Biden will do about this, um, the 1994 crime bill is something Biden has been slammed on and will continue to be slammed on in the debates. Um, but the fact of the matter is that the 94 crime bill was culturally and politically popular at the time. It um, garnered widespread bipartisan support. And um, the other thing is that states had already been leading the way on cracking down on crime. It wasn't the federal government that was leading the way. So the 94 crime bill was really just a small piece in all that was happening, um, a small piece in the puzzle to the provisions that led to mass incarceration that we see today. So I think it's not really accurate to say that the 94 crime bill caused mass incarceration. It definitely was a factor, but we can't put all that on Biden. And the other, the other thing is that what Trump is going to do about criminal justice reform and mass incarceration is really undefined and unlikely to exist at all. Um, he, when Trump faces criticism about um, his racism and the protests and Black Lives Matter, what he chooses to do is suppress the protests. Um, and he's, he's threatened, he's threatened by the voice of the people. So he turns to locking people up and sending federal officers, unidentified federal officers to Portland and Chicago to suppress us, to suppress the protesters. So it's, that's what he's going to do about criminal justice as he's going to further crack down on crime. And um, we talked about earlier that the Nixon's, um, Trump's rhetoric is really all too similar to Nixon's rhetoric in the 70s. Um, so the, yeah, Biden wasn't perfect. The 94 crime bill caused a lot of problems, but Biden has shown that he's really willing to listen to the demands of the people. And actually he's proposed reversing some of the provisions in the 94 crime bill that he acknowledges were problematic. Um, so that's my first reason. So the first one that I wanted to start off with was immigration, specifically the border wall. Um, I think what's really good for um, some people who are still wondering, like, how did my family vote for Donald Trump and why are they going to do it again? Remember what the central messaging of his campaign was uh, when he announced build a wall, Mexico's going to pay for it in 2015. Um, I think that that was something that particularly resonated with a lot of people because they are unclear of uh, what illegal immigration actually looks like. Um, there's this whole notion of that their jobs are getting stolen. I would encourage you to ask any of your family members if they know uh, at least one person, uh, uh, one Mexican-American or, or Mexican um, who emigrated illegally here who has stolen their job, please um, point me to them. Um, 
And I, I, when you hear Trump's quote, and I'm going to reread it because we're jumping back five years here, um, I think you understand like just his lack of right like nuance on any issue. Like, I would build a great wall, and nobody builds walls better than me. Believe me, and I'll build them very inexpensively. I will build a great, great wall on our southern border at border, and I'll have Mexico pay for that wall. So I wanted to break that down as to why I think that this is a reason that Trump should go, um, because nobody wants a politician with a broken promise. Um, so in terms of the length of the border, it's 2000 miles long. Um, then there was at the time that Trump was elected a fence that was 654 miles long. So that is roughly um, about a third of the total border wall, right? Um, so in 2020, five years later, after Trump told us he was going to build the wall, the fence is now three miles longer at 657 miles long. He has replaced 184. So he has built he has rebuilt the wall more than he has built new parts of the wall. Um, and when he told us in 2015 that it was going to cost eight to 12 billion to finish the wall because he could remember do it so inexpensively, um, what actually turned out is that uh, it would cost 15 billion just to rebuild that uh, third of the wall that he helped to rebuild with a few additional miles. Um, added to it. And um, this is an issue that has not gone away. Um, so you may have forgotten about it, but your family members have not. Um, two days ago, he was tweeting um, in support of Jason Smith, a, a person running for Congress in Missouri, saying that Jason Smith uh, of Missouri helped to build the wall. I have a couple questions about that. How does a potential congressman from uh, Missouri uh, running now for re-election, I believe re-election, um, uh, help build the wall. Um, and Jason Smith, this candidate that Donald Trump endorsed, uh, tweeted the other day, uh, 61 days of close contact riots, and we're still arguing over if schools can be opened in a few weeks. So again, the reason that I bring up the wall is because just like yours, Gray, like mine open up to a couple other issues of the politicians mm -hmm. that he endorses and the people that he supports. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that he can just sort of throw facts around and he can cut and edit mm -hmm. videos and put them in commercials in swing states about how he's building the wall and protecting us from this caravan. Um, he hasn't done any of that. So unless your family members like voting for someone who, you know, um, likes breaking promises, um, I would encourage them to actually look into what he has accomplished in terms of the border wall. And I'm sure they'll tell you that illegal immigration has gone down consistently under President Trump. I would direct you to look at the facts of how illegal immigration has come down from the Obama administration, and it's just continuing along the same slope. Yeah. So um, that is one of my reasons, because um, I am married to an immigrant, and I feel that it is particularly anti-immigrant um, uh, to build a Wall, but it's also a bold-faced lie to say that you built the wall because mm -hmm. he, in fact, has not built yeah. the wall. It's also not effective at fixing so many of the, the real issues that people presumably have an issue with, you know, like the fact that there are so many visa overstays, people are already in the country. It's not, a border wall is not going to fix that. No, the border <laughs> wall is a signal. More people emigrate here illegally by plane and overstayed visas, like you said, than, you know, walk through Mexico 
um, a notoriously dangerous place in some areas um, and, and reach you know, the wall, cross in, and then they start stealing your jobs and um, you know draining life off of the economy. That's a fear tactic. And that is number 117 um, uh, on your post that I, I had to just look up to make sure I had it right. Oh, yeah. so. <laughs> um, what's your next reason? Okay, the next one is 119, um, that our COVID response is the worst in the world. Um, Snaps, snaps. Yeah, (laughs) which is just like really a sad thing. Um, There are like so many issues with Trump's response to COVID. Um, Like the fact that he lied, I think 654 times over 14 weeks, according to one estimate. Um, And that he provided no federal guidance to states and left everything up to the states. Um, But I think the worst part about his response to COVID was that he politicized facts and science and that the result was that over 150,000 people have died. And I sometimes have to like remember what's happening outside of my house, my parents, and like remember how much, like how many families have had to go through this. because of something political, like because he politicized it. Um, there's no question in my mind that if we had had a Republican president that just was a good role model, that listened to his own administration, his own experts, his or her own experts, who wore a mask, or damn mask, uh, and who didn't like, didn't call, COVID a hoax, that the rest of Americans and Republicans and even really far right Republicans would follow suit. His, the role model that he has set in so many issues is, was really the problem here. Um, Like, there's so many other issues I want to talk about right now that have to do with his role model setting. Um, But the reason I think this is because I was doing, uh, we were doing some research for a post that we're um, publishing soon. And I've been really interested in researching whether there is as much division among the American people than the media portrays there to be. Um, and so I've been looking at like a lot of the Pew research polling. And one of the things I found was that of all the issues I was looking at, abortion, um, solar energy, gun violence, um, semiotics, banning semi-automatic weapons, and coronavirus, there was actually the most divisive issue, the most polarizing issue was coronavirus. 25% of Americans believe that it's definitely true or could be true that the American government um, had a role in creating the coronavirus. That's like 25% of Americans. It's shocking. Um, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't believe this. I sent this to the others in the group. Um, of all the issues we've written on, COVID is the least debatable thing, but it is the most polarizing thing. And that tells you something about the rhetoric coming from the top and the effect that Trump's attack on science and institutions and government, which he's 
launched since over the past four years, the impact that that's now having is what we're seeing. Is he, he didn't just do this overnight. He's been undermining institutions and science. Um, it's happened with Hurricane Maria. Um, he's been pulling out of the climate agreement, um, pulling out of the World Health Organization funding and spewing rhetoric that basically reinstates uh, a distrust in science and in institutions. And we're seeing the impact now. And so I think that's why the response to COVID and how polarizing it's become and uh, how it's a reflection of the state we're in now because of um, an accumulation of actions over the past four years. That's why I picked that reason. And that, like I said, 150,000 people have died as a result of this. It's just like really heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. And it is, and it doesn't, like you said, it's the least debatable thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, uh, it, it feels mind boggling to me um, that my Instagram feed has went back to normal when there's uh, no justice for George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, um, Mm -hmm. and many other black people and specifically black trans women who have been killed um, since our Instagram feed changed uh, or had changed. And there's also uh, no rhyme or reason to me. And I can't understand how um, people also are now just not social distancing. I think um, what has scared me so much is that Trump has emboldened this um, American idea that we should be able to live whatever way we want without consequences. Um, And it doesn't matter what anybody tells us. I mean, this this part is not necessarily just Trump, but it doesn't matter what um, experts tell us. It matters like what we know and what we feel and that our gut is right. Sometimes our gut's not right. Um, uh, it's it's just, I think, terrifying that Americans have no discipline to be bored or to stay inside or to not be selfish, to um, just go out and live the life the way that they want to live. Um, and that is true for the way that people forgot about Black Lives Matter and are mm-hmm. forgetting about Black Lives Matter and the way that they're forgetting about COVID. Um, mm-hmm. And I think Trump is a sign of that because he can easily create a new scandal and just have us all move on. Um, and speaking, I think, of, of scandals that people probably forgot about, um, you know, that we'll probably hear about again in the fall. My next reason is um, uh, around adoption for queer people. And this affects me in a couple different ways, not because I want children, but because um, I live in Philadelphia and the case that the Supreme Court is hearing is in Philadelphia. Um and um, it's specifically related to Catholic Social Services, which is a building I used to walk by every day on, on my way to high school. Um, so Trump's Justice Department um, filed a Supreme Court brief in support of a taxpayer-funded um, agency called Catholic Social Services. Um, and they are refusing to um, allow same-sex parents or prospective parents um, to foster or adopt children, despite the fact that they take money from queer taxpayers. Mm -hmm. Um, Catholic Social Services sued the city of Philadelphia for withdrawing its funds um, from its agency or from its funding from the agency. Um, However, Philadelphia 
obviously contested the lawsuit because they said, we're not giving you funding because you are discriminating against queer people. And um, so the Williams Institute of Law did a little bit of, of, of research around this, um, just to point out um, how absurd this is that um, Catholic Social Services would um, not allow um, taxpayers who pay for their services or to pay to fund their agency. They, they basically said that um, uh, gay couples, queer couples, um, are um, much more likely to adopt older children, special needs children, and minority children, more so than heterosexual couples. They are also more likely to adopt in general, which, oops, uh, which uh, makes sense. Um, thinking about um, just the fact that um, they can't have children of their own. Um, but every single year, 20,000 children age out of the foster care system at the age of 18 and don't get additional services until they're 21. Um, so um, one of the reasons why I find this so particularly egregious is one that Trump would insert himself in this for some reason, that his Justice Department felt like they needed to what, d defend the, the rights of religious freedom I'm sorry, there, there should not be religious freedom when my taxes are paying uh, your, your, your salaries, uh, funding your meals, funding your heating and air conditioning uh, and everything, um, however small or large that percentage of my salary is. Um, so uh, I, I find that particularly egregious. And I also think that it's something that a lot of people just sort of like whoop, moved over, like they weren't thinking about it they weren't worried about it like it just sort of was like well that doesn't affect me well if you know me uh think about me it affects me not because i want to um adopt a child necessarily but maybe i do want to foster one day maybe jack and i do want to have a child one day um so i have a little bit of a personal tie in this with this one and i have so much worry about it because it's going to the supreme court and we all know, you know, that the uh, Supreme Court cases that have been decided recently like around DACA and around Oklahoma um and a couple other uh, notorious cases have been decided by five to four. Like, like this, this very slim majority. Uh, it basically takes one person just to flip uh, for these laws to not get passed. So this is a case that's going to be heard, I believe, sometime in the fall. Um, so I, I get the idea that we should have religious freedoms, but I don't believe that we should have religious freedoms if it's being funded by people who aren't necessarily a part of that religion or can't benefit from that system if they are funding uh, mm -hmm. that religion services. So mm -hmm. um, I don't know. That That is is something I feel particularly passionate about, which always makes me worry if I can articulate it well enough. No, um, but you guys did a great post on it, number 126. So. Awesome. No, you did a great job. And yeah, the other concern with a lot of those Supreme Court cases that have been coming out recently are that they um, kind of like were laws that were shut down by a threat, like by barely by by something that the Trump administration could come back and argue something else the next time. Um, a lot of the cases were decided that way because the administration just hadn't argued them in the correct way. And Roberts and this happened with the um, contraception case as well. Um, basically said in them that they're signaled to litigators that there are other paths you can take to um, make this law okay, make this for the contraception, it would have been um, making it okay for employers to not include contraception and 
healthcare insurance plans. Um, and it was like a good victory for, for that moment, but it's really scary what can happen in the future, even if we do get a five, four decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's never, I feel like it's never safe. The fight's never going to be won fully. Like you, especially with, I feel like with trans rights right now, it's have, we're having a argue or the, the trans community is having to advocate for protections in like every sector of their lives. So it's like in healthcare, they're having to argue for it in employment, um, in the adoption and fostering children context as well. And it's just frustrating to do it piecemeal that way. It's like, hopefully once one is decided in a positive way that that can be the precedent for other cases to move forward quickly. Um, but yeah, it's just, I feel you on that. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty wild. What's your, what's your third reason? My third is one Oh one. Um, the bill, uh, for the people act it's HR one. And I picked this because it's a huge bill that would, um, that is currently sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk. It was passed by the House of Representatives, and a lot of the provisions were written by Representative John Lewis. Um, and it would fix a lot of the voting problems that our country faces, which in turn um, would help us address so many of the issues we care about. Um, so when we talk about a traditional swing voter, we think about people in your state, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, um, but another type of swing voter is someone who swings between voting and not voting at all because they've um, faced direct voter suppression or indirect voter suppression. Um, Direct voter suppression is something that would be like harassing voters at the polls. And that's what Trump actually plans on doing in the fall. He's already planning on hiring 50,000 workers, I believe, to like check people's IDs at the polls and harass them. Basically, it's really upsetting um but that's that's democracy like yeah. what the fuck sorry really yeah <laughs> um and then indirect voter suppression is things that like things that for example they're not being enough um polling places they're being long lines at the polling places not enough resources um and another form of indirect voter suppression is the fact that we don't have, um, that election day is not a federal holiday. And so people who work, uh, have jobs that don't allow them to take the day off or who work multiple jobs for these people, that's a form of indirect voter suppression, the fact that they don't have that. But HR1 would address that by making election day a federal holiday. Um, and it would address some other forms of voter suppression, like the voter ID laws that are um, prevalent throughout many states that really impact BIPOC communities and um, especially Native American communities who don't have addresses, so they don't aren't able to register because of that. They live on tribal land, um, and so HR one would address that by making voter registration automatic for people in the United States. Um, HR1 is just like so important to me because right now, like I was saying, looking at the Pew Research polling, there's not as much divisiveness 
amongst the American people than there is on the Hill and in the Oval Office. And right now, the average opinion of the American has net zero effect on legislation in Congress. And that says something about our voting system. It's just totally out of whack and thousands and thousands of people aren't able to vote and get their voice heard. So it's critically important that we pass this immediately. The other thing that HR1 includes is having forcing the president to turn over his or her tax returns. So that's one we really want to include. I feel like there's going to be so much legislation in response to what Trump did. <laughs> like yeah. this could never happen again. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that's why I'm hoping he loses so badly. I like, hope we don't like, um, I think we, what we talked about before is like, um, he may lose, but he's not going anywhere. Like he's going to be on our TV. He's daily. He's still going to be on Twitter. He's going to start a news network. Like this guy will be relentless in our politics, whether we vote him out or not, you know, he will continue to shift and shape, uh, public opinion. Um, you know, whether, uh, whether we want him or not. And it'll be funny for all the people that said that Bill Clinton, that Hillary Clinton, that Obama, all of them just need to stay out of it because they will, of course, want Trump involved in all of this. We sit back and take a seat. You're done now, you know, but. Um, I didn't think about that. I know it's horrifying, but uh, yeah, I think that that's, that's like just, I, I don't know. It was just a good, I think point off of yours. Um, there's so many things that we do uh, like this is, and again, like you said, like the research supports that a majority of Americans support this. So why aren't we doing it? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, everyone should have off on election day so that they can all go and vote <laughs> with, please someone tell me what's wrong with that. Yeah. Someone will make some bullshit case about the economy. Like, just, <laughs> COVID has, has, you know, like turned that upside down. God, <laughs> I know. Right. Um, well, my last reason that I want to highlight um, here is the Trump tax cuts, um, and I'm. And this is reason number ninety-seven on uh, hundred at one hundred fifty dot reasons. Um, and I just like it's like we always get into this election cycle and dialogue that Republicans want to cut taxes and Democrats want to raise them, and everybody sort of believes this like universal truth that Republicans are sort of the financially, fiscally responsible group. For some reason, that's ingrained in our DNA. Um, so of course, so many people that I'm friends with are um, happy about the the tax cuts because it looks like their paychecks, you know, went up. But again, this is where you look beyond yourself and your own life, and um, you know, thinking about um, the the long lasting effects. Um, there's no indication that it's provided what more jobs, higher wages. There's been no lasting boost to GDP. Um, uh, business investment overall has declined. Um, and the richest 20% of people saw the largest um, drop in taxes. It's this idea um, that, uh, I don't know, that people think that this is going to work and that, that, what is it, trickle-down economics, I guess is the more phrase that people are familiar with. There's this idea that this thing works. And what I loved about your post specifically um, is that you talk about Joe Biden's plan to increase taxes on those making uh, $400,000 or more per year. So it's always like, tax the rich, tax the, tax the rich, I don't want to be taxed. Like, do you make, do most people make more than $400,000? You're like, what are you bitching about? You know, 
Um, so the, the plan, as, as I think you guys illustrated well, is that it'll increase revenue by $3 trillion, which would obviously help pay back a lot of debt from COVID. Like there's going to have, our economy cannot withstand another tax break. Um, there's going to have to be some sort of tax increase um, to pay back some of the COVID debt. And um, just again, you know, Trump will tell you that wages have, have grown under him, but from 2006, you know, wage growth has fallen by 9% when you account for inflation. So our wages have not gone up. Your tax cuts do not matter. Um, and they were more beneficial for the rich than they were for the middle and working class. So um, I thought that that was a particularly good and well-researched post that you guys did on yeah. that one. I, I think, did I say everything right? Yeah. Yeah. And it went with, I think it's one, number 148, um, where we talk about the importance of corporate taxation. Um, and Trump's scheme is generous for, like like you just mentioned, that's what the 2017 tax cuts were about. They're generous on the wealthy people. Um, but a huge problem is that corporations, 60 of the largest corporations didn't pay any taxes in 2018. So under Trump's tax scheme, corporations should have paid $16.4 billion, um, and instead they didn't pay anything at all. Um, so the, the taxes were should have been on a net uh, $79 billion in profits um, is what they had. And instead of paying taxes, they enjoyed a rebate of $4.3 billion. So all in all, missing that those taxes, uh, the 16.4 billion they owed and giving uh, away the rebates, that added up to a $20.7 billion hole in the 2018 federal budget. I don't see how that's economically fiscal, fiscally responsible. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not. Yeah. It's, our, it's the greatest tool we have and we're not using it at all. It's to just frustrates me so much. I know, right? Yeah. Well, those are those are at least our, our kind of primary three that we wanted to highlight for everybody. But as we start to close out the episode, I want to talk a little bit around what's next. Because um, you've got, what, 60 reasons so far. So we've mm -hmm. got 90 days until election day. Mm -hmm. um, what are you going to cover? What are some of the things you're going to cover in the next, like, 90 reasons counting down? Oh man, so many <laughs> yeah, things. Um, we tried to spread out the issues so that we'd like cover um, economic policy like every other week, and same with the other issues. We did a lot of environmental stuff in the beginning because, like I said, I was writing, and so it was like really heavy on the environmental issues in the beginning. So we're not doing, I don't think, any more on that, but. We are doing more economic policy posts, which I think will be important really to conservatives and swing voters. Um, and like I said, just we're going to do everything, like cover every issue. There's so much to talk about. And in the beginning, I wasn't sure if we'd be able to do 150, but like solid reasons, you know, not just like, well, he said this today, he did this today. Um, but like, that's very easy. That's easy to do. Yeah. yeah. He says the. He says but, something stupid every day. I mean, the day that we're recording this, that Axios interview came out, which I'm sure everyone will know about by the time they listen to this. So Yeah. Yeah. So, but it's ended up being really easy to do 150. And there's some things I'm not sure we're going to be able to get in. 
yeah. we'll start doing blue posts as well, which are um, posts that aren't exactly reasons necessarily, but are things that we want to talk about still. And so like um, we did a post on Oklahoma um, versus and McGirt. And we also did a post on ICWA, the Indian Child Welfare Act. So I really like those because they touch on an issue, Native American rights and tribal law, um, which is something one of the women in our group specializes in. So um, we really love those posts as well. Those were my honorable mentions. Oh, cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So what's next? I don't know. Like what, what we're going to do, you mean, after 150? Yeah. Yeah, I, that's what I mean. So, like, I don't know. Like, what happens if it's over? What happens? I don't know. I don't know. I'm what happens take- if Trump wins? <laughs> okay. If Biden wins, I'm going to take a nap. Like, and just, like, oh, I don't know. Maybe I'll go party. I have no idea what I'm going to do. It's going to be so exhausting. I'll, um, I'll throw a COVID party. <laughs> yeah. We should get together and do something. Yeah. Uh, but if if Trump wins... Well, I want to talk about Biden wins first because it's like really important that we keep the momentum going um, after he's elected. And so we were thinking that maybe we could flip this around and make it 150 promises, 150 promises that Biden made or something, because we are tracking what he said. Like we're tracking with each post what his promise is on that issue. And some of them overlap, so it may end up being like 100 things, but um, I don't know how to like do that digitally, how to make that put the pressure on him digitally. But I'm really excited for the day that we can all get offline and actually, you know, meet in person, be activists in the street, because it's going to be hard to continue this doing this from Instagram. And I think like continue to put pressure on Biden. Um, and if Trump wins, I don't know, I'm just really hoping that we flip the Senate so that we can prevent bills from even getting to his desk in the first place. Um, but that doesn't mean that he wouldn't turn around and repeal like he's been doing um, repeal Obama era laws, uh, provisions and administrative rules that. Um, so basically just a little quick lesson on legal stuff is that Congress creates laws and then the executive branch flushes out the laws with administrative rules. Um, and so Trump's main tool has been repealing the rules that Obama um, had instituted to flush out laws like the Affordable Care Act and um, the Clean Air Act and Clean Water Act. And so while we can hope for a Congress that wouldn't put particular legislation on Trump's desk, we we can't really control what he's going to do at the executive level, which is scary. And especially with a um, Supreme Court that is leaning really conservative and with Ginsburg, um, not sure what's going to happen with her. It's really scary to think about what a court would say, given what we've already seen about Trump's um, rollbacks of Obama-era provisions and other administrative rules. So it's not really, I don't really have any hope for us if Trump wins. <laughs> I don't know what I'd do. I'd probably, I'm, I really am like, maybe I'll move. I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm totally in the same mindset as you. Like, I don't want to move, but um, I think that's why, that's why 
um, like you, I will want to take a nap on uh, November 4th, even though we won't know the results of the election on November 4th. Everyone, please get your votes in early and encourage your family to get their votes in early. This election will not be over, um, maybe not until December. Um, And so I think I feel the same way um, that uh, I've been inspired and called upon by uh, people to leave it out in the field. Thank you, Crooked Media, um, to get Mitch McConnell or, or die trying. Um, uh, if we don't win this election, I am terrified for my rights, for women's rights, for trans rights, for immigrant rights, just the same that I was terrified um, in 2016 when he won. And I hope some of the reasons that we highlighted here and some of the reasons that you'll find at one dot reasons like will inspire you to take action because um, he threatens our democracy every single day um, with stupid shit that he says, but also with policies that he and his administration put for, puts forward. And it's not always covered by the media. And it doesn't always sound as bad as it does. Sometimes, you know, you really do need to dig in, I think, sometimes and see a little bit um, behind it. So, um, yeah, I'm with you on the moving, Gray. Uh, I don't want to do that. But um, I don't feel safe, secure, sound. And um, I do have the privilege of being able to move um, because my husband is um, an immigrant. And I'm not sure that four more years of this country would be okay for my mental health. So mm, yeah. um, that nap will feel good in November, but um, it would yeah. feel much better um, if Joe Biden was our president, I think, yeah. <laughs> the president-elect. We got to work our butts off until then. Yeah. And so I hope, you know, everybody uh, listening to this still that um, you see how easily a conversation between one passionate person and a few friends can turn into an Instagram account um, with 20,000 followers. Um, and I hope that you see the power of two people um, advocating and organizing digitally, talking together can have on you. Um, because quite literally, like this is all we have for the next three months. Um, COVID's not going anywhere. Um, Donald Trump is not going anywhere. Um, you know, nothing is going to get better until you all start getting engaged. So, um, Gray, seriously, thank you so much for joining us. It was so great to have you. This was really so fun. (laughs) Yeah, it was. Um, so where, where can people, um, find the, the account again, just give us your pitch. How Mm -hmm. do we email you, follow you, get in touch with you, support you, um, all Mm -hmm. that stuff. Yeah, we primarily live on Instagram, so at 150.reasons. Um, and we do have a website, actually. It's 150reasons.org, and we'll be updating it soon. And if you want to email us, we are at hello at 150reasons.org. Cool. 
well, I hope you all say hello. Um, and, um, you know, if, if you guys are, listen to this and, and, you know, you, you want to help and be a part of this movement and you want to speak, um, share at 150.reasons. If you share it and tag me, you will be entered into a chance to win a $50 gift card. So just making it a little bit more fun, a little bit more competitive. So um, if you listen to this um, and you want a little extra spending cash during COVID time so you can buy, I don't know what, you're not going anywhere. Um, but um, if you share 150.reasons and tag me and let me know, um, I will, of course, um, try to do something to um, encourage more people to do that. So I'll be doing a post when this goes live. So don't forget, um, you know, but um, just with some some rules of the engagement, because I think, Gray, what you guys are doing, what you and your friends are doing is absolutely inspiring and incredible. And I'm glad that I could help tell that story. Well, I'm so glad that I met you and you're really inspiring as well. So many things. <laughs> Thank you. All the feel goods. Well, this has been another episode of Let's Unpack That. Um, if you liked, hated, loved, uh, you know, wanted to delete this episode from the entire world, um, please write, comment, subscribe, um, on Apple or Spotify. Um, and if you want to send me hate mail or if you want to give me feedback, or if you want to just tell me you like the episode, you can follow me on Instagram at it's Paul Warren. So thank you all for listening. Thanks so much. <laughs>